This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. everybody and welcome to keep screaming a podcast where two best friends dissect horror movies one by one my name is ryan larson this is my co-host b bass hello and we are here to talk about my bloody valentine the remake this is part two of our special february valentine's day edition of the podcast uh if you guys are joining for the first time what we do basically every week is we pick one slasher movie and we spend about an hour breaking it down, dissecting it piece by piece, and uh, at the end we'll list it. We do have a list that you can find at our website, website keepscreaming.com, um, so we'll list it, and um, yeah, we basically just look at one every two weeks, and uh, we go from there. So um, I was going to say something, oh, where to find us, so I like to get this stuff out of the way up top, keepscreaming.com, you can find us. Uh, we are hosted by Pod People, which you can find at podpeople.me, uh, the podcast for those who are weird at heart. And then um, we're on Twitter at ScreamingCast, so you can reach out to both of us there. I'm on Twitter at Ryan Larson, and B is on Twitter at B, not B. That's B E E, not B E A. And then um, Apple Podcasts, Cat, uh, Castbox, and Stitcher, you can find us through there. Hopefully, one day we'll get on Spotify. But if you can rate, review, subscribe, it would be awesome. Helps us out a lot. Um, and just the more we can talk to you guys, the better. Uh, we start every week with like a pop culture check-in. And, oh, I like Beep made a note here. Try for five to ten minutes. That never happens. Yeah, we ramble on. Yeah. We, we get excited, especially yeah. if we've both seen it. Mm-hmm. We're both ramblers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we do a pop culture check-in just so you guys can kind of like we try to keep it genre-related, but sometimes we jump around, and it's just so you can get to know us other than just breaking down the one movie every week. So kind of gives you an idea of like who we are and what we like. So we, we do that, too. Um, we'll talk about movies, TV, books, whatever. So what what did you watch in the last two weeks? Um, so I got into a Mad Men black hole. That's and- interesting. It's a show that I've never watched all the way through. I've started it a few times, and it is definitely like a slow show. Um, it's an a- AMC's like first show, and was part of what they call like the revival of television, mm-hmm. and part of what has started the glory days of TV, which is what we have now. And that started with shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, uh-huh. and. Uh, my mom was a huge fan. Um, she grew up in this time period and it's something that I started and then couldn't get into. And I actually started it again around this time last year, spring of last year. And it was during my like senior year of design school. And I really liked it because if you guys aren't familiar, it is about an advertising firm, um, in the late 50s then it goes into the 60s and eventually the series ends in the very early 70s so it's about like the heyday of advertising for somebody who studied that 
Um, it's really interesting to see all these iconic um, ads and brands that are taking that industry and changing it at that time and things I've studied in school kind of seeing the dramatization of it. So I think it finally like took for me, I had that level of interest. I still think it's one of those shows where the first season's a little slow and hard to get into. How many seasons is it? Six? Seven. Seven, okay. Um, I, so I started back up on season three and I just picked back up like literally like two weeks ago. Season three is kind of where I ended off. I really liked season three. I got to season four and I, it got to the point where I just couldn't stop watching. Like, I was watching on my phone, like, while I was getting ready in the morning. Like, I was just thinking about it, like, constantly and just wanting to watch another episode. Um, so I finally got to that point in the show. I'm absolutely loving it. I'm, like, season five right now. And coincidentally, it's, like, kind of helped me. I've been in, like, personally, like, in a design rut my nine to five design job has been very demanding and more like a nine to eight or sometimes more I've been taking work home which is not something I normally do with this type of job um, because I work in production Uh, and so I the last thing I want to do is come home and get back on my computer when I've been on it for eight to ten hours and so this is like the show like really just helped me like oh man I just want to create something good so I love when TV. I'm a huge TV fan, and I love when TV can do that for you and inspire you and and affect your life um, and really like make a positive change. And I think just seeing a show like this, where they are creatives um, and doing like really important things in the world of advertising and design, it's just like, oh, I want to do that. I want to create something. So it was kind of like a happy accident that I got back into it at this time. I don't think I could watch it uh well one i'm just not the amc slow burn guy yeah. like i tried breaking bad like did two seasons also anytime anytime that i'm like oh i just couldn't get into it well what season did you watch well i watched for, for through the first two well four is where it gets really good if i have to watch four seasons of a show before it starts to get really good it's not gonna happen i'm sorry uh but two on this one I've seen John Hamm in so many comedy roles now. I think mm-hmm. it'd be super hard for me to go back and buy him as, like, this guy. Like, the kind of, like... You would be able to. I'm sure, because he's a great actor. That's... Yeah. And the same thing, like, I often think of his role in, like, Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids, and anytime he had a cameo, like, Parks and Rec's his cameo, and he was on 30 Rock. Oh, yeah, he's been... Because he's, so, like, friends with all of those yeah, people. Yeah, so, like, all of those, like, yeah. that's... I see him as that goofy, Yeah, like, he always plays a goofy yeah. character. You forget instantly. Um, he is a force. He's incredible in that show and and worthy of watching just for that. Um, yeah, I get it though. It's definitely not going to be for everybody. And I understand what you're saying. Like if it takes four seasons to really get into it. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's another thing that I was talking about with one of my best friends, Lo, is that there's a lot of infidelity mm-hmm. in this show. Yeah. And, you know, it is about times that were different. Uh, and that's kind of hard to watch for us. My friend and Lo and I both got married recently. We're, I guess you can still consider us newlyweds. Um, call me naive, but I don't really want to surround myself with images of broken marriages and infidelity. Six and, months into your marriage? Yeah. yeah. No, I don't blame you. And yeah. I've tried watching other thing, like other shows too, and, and I'm not trying to say those relationships don't exist, but 
I just don't want to be saturated with them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very happy um, in my marriage and I'm very happy that I'm married and I don't want to be constantly told like, well, you're only happy because you're new to it. When it gets old, it's like, well, I'm seven years in and I'm not bored yet or upset. So that's another thing that's kind of hard about the show, but... I always really enjoyed it's it. The it's only just not one... addictive. Right. It didn't get addictive for me until season four. And, well, I won't spoil it, but something happens in the show, and I think that's what sort of pushed me over the edge. It's the only like, one out of all those AMC shows that I've, like, I keep meaning to go to. Yeah. It's just it's really hard for me to get in. The, like, I don't like Breaking Bad. I've tried, like I yeah. said, I watched through, like, two seasons, couldn't get into it. I watched one and a half seasons of Walking Dead, and I'm a diehard comic book fan, and like, and a horror fan, and I was like, I am so not into this show. Yeah. Like, lasted, so one and a half seasons of Walking Dead, and like, that's kind of around the time when I was like, I just don't like AMC's style of television. Yeah, which is understandable. But, I mean, my to. mom loved it, and I know Ash really liked it, so I, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll get around to it, especially I love the people involved in it, like, there's so many people I really like in that cast, um... So I'll, I'll watch it eventually. Yeah. Um, so that's really, obviously, if I watched an entire season plus, uh, that's really what I've been doing. I did forget to talk about it last week, but I did finish Wish Upon, which I, same, which I thought, like, I didn't hate it. Like, I didn't think I wasted my time. It was fine. Um, the biggest critique in, like, the Shockwaves podcast when they talked about it, they were just kind of laughing about how, like, oh, like, the girl gets bullied for literally nothing. And I'm like, sorry, that's high school now. Like, I got made fun of for no reason. People are just like that. So, and then they're like, oh, people don't talk this way and stuff like that. And I'm like, "Eh, none of that felt unbelievable to me. I didn't really have any issues with that. I had no issues with that at all. The issues I had were different. Yeah. I had issues, like, one, I just, I had I'll, I'll I'll come back to it someday and maybe yeah. I'll be in a different frame. But one tired of dogs dying, so <laughs> that instantly I was like, "Well, I'm t- I don't like this." Two, I don't care what she wished. Ryan Philippi playing sexy saxophone is weird. Why did that bug? I don't get why that bugged people. Oh my people. god, it was so stupid. Okay, it was a she made a wish that. Her dad was cool. Yeah. And so then they all... Also, in what world is that what makes you cool? No, but he already played that instrument. That's what oh, I, I know. I understand. It. I understand. But I'm like... No, no, no that no, complaint no. makes this, me so this mad. This is someone who was like, fuck, what's popular right now? Jazz? La La no. Land. La La Land won some Oscars. Make this fucker it. play some saxophone. They, he's going to play some fucking that's saxophone. That's part of the joke. Oh, it's Is so... that even though he's playing sax, they still think he's sexy. How did you not get that? No, it's dumb. It's dumb. It made me feel... You're dumb. There's one sexy sax man and he is in The Lost Boys and that's the only sexy sax man I want any in any of my horror movies. The joke is he's only sexy because he wished for it. No other world would he be sexy playing a saxophone. Women swooned over Bill Clinton because of his saxophone ability. <sighs> oh my God. Okay? I'm, Anywho, I'm, I'm old enough to know this and remember yeah, this. Yeah, I remember it too. It wasn't as bad as everybody said. Sure. It was mindless. The kills were interesting. It's Final Destination Light. That's how yeah. I refer. It is a good... And I'll, I'll admit to this, even though I didn't like the movie very much, it is a good gateway horror film. It's like, yeah, it's the type exactly. of horror movie that, like, if someone can't handle the gore of Final Destination, you're like, cool, I got this movie for you. It's a similar thing, yeah. but it's not going to be quite as brutal. No, and the, God, there's nothing great about it. I just didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. I also and... don't think Joey King's a very good actress. Oh, I kind of like her. Ugh. Anywho, I watched that. 
And then I did watch Channel Zero, Butcher's Block, which is the new season. So, with Holland Roden? Yes, with Holland Roden from Teen Wolf. Oh. She's such a babe. Um, so, Holland, I'm Holland, not... if you're listening, oh. you are a babe. God. Just so you know. Yeah, she's listening. And I'm she's married. Hit you up. But if you want to hang out with both of us, not like a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, let's be friends. So we pop up on your Instagram way. That was really uncomfortable, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you for that moment. Um, yes, she is a babe. Hey, I'm also married. But if you want to hang out with me, like, let's get weird. <laughs> All right. Cool. That's what Ryan was basically saying. Um, so I loved the first season of this show, Channel Zero, and that was called Something Island. Candle Cove. Candle Cove, yeah. sure. Yeah, Island Cove, whatever. And then the second season is No End House. Yeah, No End House, which I liked. I didn't finish. Oh, I love I was so sad because my DVR, like, I'm missing, like, two or three episodes. But I'll eventually watch them. Anywho, started Butcher's Block. This is not my cup of tea in the horror world. Like, this story that they're telling. I'm going to keep watching it because I... I haven't watched it yet, but I love the premise. Like... It's too surreal for me. There's, it's no base in reality. It instantly starts with like, hey, there's some it's staircases like- going nowhere and some creepy people running around. And I thought this town, ta- I thought it was going to be more about this cool town lore and like this mystery. And it really just ends up with a bunch of like, here's some really weird shit, and it's happening, and you don't know why. And it's about this family, but you instantly get all of that. And there was sort of no mystery and there's no base in reality at all. It is truly like a... I need to watch it. Like, sometimes that... I like that. Sometimes. Yeah. And I'm still going to keep watching it because I do enjoy, like, where they take their sh- the show, no matter what storyline they're telling. Um, but I do, like, recognize that it's not my favorite type of horror. And I don't really like the more surreal stuff. I like when it's more based in reality because I find that scarier. Mm-hmm. Still, like, imagery-wise, it's super creepy, super disturbing. There's some really, like, creepy character acting. Um, and, I mean, check it out. What they're doing is awesome. It's on Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm just saying it's not my favorite type. Like, I liked Candle Cove a lot because even though it is, like, supernatural and you know it's based in some, like, there is, like, alternate reality and there's no way that really exists, there's still so much based in reality that it feels like it could happen. I love where Candle this Cove. doesn't feel real at all. If, yeah, if you guys haven't, if watched, that makes sense, I'm, yeah, I, no, no, I get it. Like, I don't want to like spoil because the too first, much especially. I mean, I haven't watched this one, but the first two have super weird supernatural things happening, but they base themselves in reality, and yes. that's it's mostly because if you guys aren't familiar, Channel Zero, uh, Nick and Tosca is the showrunner. He's he's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Go on Twitter and please beg like Netflix and Hulu to put this stuff up. Like, uh, and Tosca actually came out last week and was like. I've been trying to get them to get it up on streaming. Like, they need to know that there's a demand for it. So yeah. I've been, like, tweeting, like, every couple days, like, can't wait till this goes on streaming because uh, I think they're both fantastic shows. And I would watch them all the time. I would own them, but they also haven't released them. I think only in, like, England I'd have to import it. Uh, it is on Sci-Fi's, like, on demand. But and you have to have a cable provider. One, I was going to say, I have DirecTV. So if you have a cable provider, you can just go onto your cable box. And even if you don't... 
haven't had it recorded, they have all the episodes yeah. on it. Yeah, and you I've can do it from it. your phone too. But yeah. if you don't have a cable provider like me, I'm pretty much unplugged at this point. Like, you can watch two episodes and that's it. So, um, I love TV too much not to have cable. <laughs> I can I can almost watch everything without it. But yeah. uh, anyhow, it's all based on creepy pasta. So if you guys don't know what creepy pasta is, it's basically like internet folklore which is amazing it's really cool and when it's done there's some stuff that's super cheesy but when it's done right it's terrifying and there's some like really cool interesting things that people can do with the internet and with like doctoring videos and photos like this is where slender man has come from you know and obviously they're not going to take slender man it's too big it's, but they've they only use um source material that they can trace back to one user because they need to be able to credit it to someone which is really cool um but the whole, like, I just love the entire theme. And it makes sense that it's mostly based in reality because most of it is, like, how creepypasta works is it's usually, like, someone telling their story on the internet of, like, yeah, this thing happened. And, like, it's always presented in, like, sometimes it'll be forums. Candle Cove, actually, if you go back and read it, it's one guy, but he made, like, 15 different users and created a fake forum conversation. Um, so it's all it's all stuff like that. It's super interesting. Um I really want to watch Book Butcher's Block, though. Uh, this week, I watched, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, everyone in the horror world was talking about it, literally everyone, for like two straight weeks. Uh, Bruckner, David Bruckner's The Ritual on Netflix, which uh, way too many people complained about, like, oh, it doesn't do anything original. I think that's like one of the dumbest complaints I hear about horror movies of like oh it doesn't like I don't necessarily it's cool when things do things original that's what makes them different like yeah, that's what makes a movie stand out that's like what makes Halloween and Scream stand out because they did something different um, but I'm also okay with something that copies the formula and still presents entertainment like I know what you did since the last summer did not do anything different it is a copycat of Scream still really enjoy that movie because it's a fun experience uh, the Ritual, and I actually think The Ritual did do some stuff different. It has some super dope, like, creature effects. It uses, a, like, a legend. It's about these four um, British guys who go out into the woods. They go out on this trek, basically, in remembrance of their friend who's passed away. And they have to cut through the woods instead of going around the mountain because one of them sprains her ankle. And while they go into the woods, this creature starts kind of, like, showing up. And these weird things are happening. And a lot of it's based on Norse mythology, which is really cool because you don't really see that utilized very often. I love when I can watch a horror movie. Like, I'll watch any horror movie that tries to do something different. Like, as much as I love ghosts and, like, vampires and werewolves, like, there, there's just, like, something cool about... There's so many weird supernatural things that have existed throughout history. That and don't I, get talked about. That don't get talked about. And so I love when horror movies try to use that um like that's why i loved like troll hunter i thought was super cool or um like any bigfoot movie or like i'll watch i watched some like jersey devil movie like mm -hmm. with what's his face from true blood like i'll watch any of that stuff because i think it's really cool when they when they at least try the mothman prophecies like any of that stuff um so i would definitely suggest i mean it's on netflix go watch it i thought it was really good creature effects not like it's not going to, like, scare you, scare you, but it has some really good atmosphere and, like, some good jump scares in there. Back-to-back, um, -back, I watched Friend Request and Keep Watching, which I'm going to call Cybernatural Horror Movies. Oh, lame. That's what... So, Unfriended, 
back when I was writing for Shock Till You Drop, I got an advanced screening of Unfriended, and it was called Cybernatural. Was the original I know, title? I went yeah, saw an early screening of it in theaters. So that's what it was originally called, and they changed the name. And ever since then, I just think of those movies as cybernatural movies now because they're supernatural movies that happen online. I'm not um, saying you created it. I'm just saying it's lame. Oh, so <laughs> I really like Unfriended, actually. Like, it, I think maybe because you didn't like it. I like I Unfriended. Got I got really intoxicated uh, and fell asleep in the movie theater. I like Unfriended. I thought, like, maybe because I went in going, like, this is so stupid. And it has I, uh, from... Shelly Hennig yeah. from Teen Wolf in it. Oh. Two Teen Wolf mentions. Oh. Um, but Friend Request is about a witch who gets really mad that her one Facebook friend deletes her off Facebook. And so she curses her and starts murdering all of her friends and, Ooh, yeah. and making her friend list go down on facebook because her whole goal is to make sure that she has zero friends on facebook um have these people been on facebook are they confusing it with myspace dude it's awful it's, when was that script written that is a myspace script i have no idea it's so bad and like it's it's frustrating too because it does all the stuff like like i just hate oh there's too many like weird things like with anything when you do like cyber because like like they keep trying to delete their Facebook, but she's cursed it, so they can't delete their Facebook. I was like, this is stupid. This is not how programming works. And then, like, you find out that she, like, has written a new programming in hex code. I'm like, this is – I can't. I can't. And then keep watching is all about Bella Thorne's in it, and it's been on the shelf for a while because Chandler Riggs is also in it from Walking Dead, and he's, like, younger in it. Carl. Carl. Um, and it's about this, like – I definitely just pictured you like a llama when you said that. <laughs> this group that goes around invading home. Oh, you know who's in it, actually? Do you remember the Banshee from Teen Wolf? Yeah. She's in it. That's so funny. So another Teen Wolf. Um, but The other Banshee. Yeah, the other Banshee. Yeah. Um, so oh. it's about this group that goes and they do home invasions and they record the whole thing. And like they're doing it because like it literally is like. They keep writing, like, keep watching or, like, entertain us. So they're doing it to prove a point that, like, people will watch whatever. And I, it's not the greatest. Um, Lewinell's in it, and I really like him. But other than that, it's just, like, I feel like these, they're, they're pushing a message so hard. I get it, dude. Like, you could literally just put out, like, an ad that's like, we're on our phone too much. And I'm like, okay, that's the whole point of this movie. I get it. Yeah, so cool. I just, I can't do these, like, we're too obsessed with our social media movies, because I'm like, fuck, I don't need to watch this clip of, like, parents on every news network in the world telling us that we're too absorbed in our social media as a movie. Like, I just can't do it. That's, I'm watching a movie! You're literally, like, you're, to me, you're defeating the message here. I just, I can't. So, I also watch Valentine, um, and I'll self-plug, if you go to GhastlyGranny.com, you can write about how, or you can read about how... (laughs) You can write about it. You can write about it too if you want. But I uh, wrote about how it's like a worthy um, backup Valentine's Day movie. And I remembered hating this movie. But I read something that made me completely change my like my opinion on it. I read that director Jamie Blanks um, went into – because this was like – Urban Legend. Or, yeah, he made Urban Legend. And this is literally like – it was at the very – this movie came out after Scream 3. So – it's at the very, very end of the teen screen, like, slasher revitalization. It's when it's winding down. 
So Jamie Lanks went in with the intention of making something that was very different than those. So it was still like a teen screen was presented that way, like all these like, you know, really attractive 20-somethings. But he wanted to play it like it was an 80s slasher movie. So it plays much more like a classic Friday the 13th than like the more meta and self-referential slashers we were getting at the time. So knowing that, it actually made me appreciate it a lot more. Also, I think that's a perfect example of our memory not doing well to films because I think this is probably the third time this film has come up in the podcast so far and we're only like nine episodes in Mm -hmm. and Ryan's talked about how that movie is garbage every single time. And and, and I'm not like... Don't go watching this movie and be like, man, Ryan said it's going to blow me away. It's not going to blow you away. But it's not garbage. It's not, but it's definitely not garbage. And also, like, like just the older you get, the more, like, you become of who you, like, who you're going to be in life helps with things. Because that movie really spins misogyny on its head, which I didn't remember at all. Like, and it wasn't even something I was thinking about as a teenager. And that was kind of fun to see because, you know, you have, like, these really attractive, like, Denise Richards and Katherine Heigl. And, like, the whole movie, they're they're literally, like, first, they're in complete control of, like, their sexual dominion. Like, they call the shots. Like, they're like, we're going to have sex now. And the guy's like, uh, what? Okay. okay. So, like, it's very different than, like, normal horror movies. And also, like, they, they spend the whole movie, like, kind of chasing guys, but also, like, turning guys down and being like, uh, no. So, it was definitely, a, like, it was... It's interesting to see what Blanks does because he makes an 80s horror movie but flips the gender roles pretty much. Um, so yeah, now we're going to talk about a movie that's not an 80s horror movie. But, no, it um, is true to its time period. Oh, it is so millennial. Like, so millennium. It's ridiculous. My Bloody Valentine, 3D. <clears throat> uh, came out in 2009. Yeah. Uh, uh, you want to read the synopsis? Sure. Uh, so this synopsis for the remake is, On St. Valentine's Day, 1997, a cave trapped six miners working in the Hanager Mine in the town of Harmony, a rural mining community. Six days later, rescuers recover a comatose Harry Warden alongside his five co-workers, whom he killed to conserve his own oxygen. Teenager Tom Hanniger is blamed for the incident due to his forgetting to vent the methane lines triggering the cave-in. The following year, Warden, dressed in a gas mask and mining suit, goes on a murderous rampage, making his way to the Hanniger mine, where Tom, girlfriend Sarah, and friends Axel Palmer and his girlfriend Irene are attending a party. Warden murders multiple teenagers in the mine, but Tom, Sarah, Axel, and Irene survive the ordeal. Ten years later, in 2008, Tom inherits the mine after his father's death and returns to Harmony after a decade-long disappearance. He finds Sarah working as a manager of her family's grocery store, married to Axel, now a police officer, and with one son. On Valentine's Day, it appears Harry Warden has also returned, seeking revenge against those those that had escaped his pickaxe in the past. And Tom is ex- accused by Axel and other locals, and it becomes a fight to find out who is behind the mask before more people get killed. Dang. Um, that you'll you'll find if when you watch the movie that all happens in like the first ten minutes. Yeah, what I really like about this one is <clears throat> it takes um, the story of Harry Warden and the miners dying and Tom being responsible for it and it does it in the title credits mm-hmm. which is always something I've really enjoyed because as we know when we dissect these movies and if you're an appreciator of film there's so many people that go into making these films 
And the sad truth is most people don't sit and stay for the credits and look at those names. And those names are there because hundreds and sometimes thousands of people touch these movies and are a part of creating them. So I'm a big fan of title credits in the beginning of movies. Yeah. And when you can do that and also help tell the story without having to make it dialogue, they do that. So they do it with newspaper clippings, which is a... And some voiceover. Yeah, Yeah. which is an often used device, but it's effective, especially for this movie where it's based in a small town where news, you really are going to get your news from your local paper. And so that helps us find out like, okay, the... Tom was blamed for the mining accident and Harry Warden killed them all. So that's what we find out. And then we get dumped into the story where um, we find out that it's a year later and Harry's like kind of come to start killing people. Yeah. we The, the movie like actually starts in the hospital in the hospital when Harry Warden wakes up yes. from his coma. But we get told through the title sequence and it's also this movie's in 3D. That's like a big part and a plot point obviously honestly about the film mm-hmm. and, and we watched it in 3d and we watch it in 3 I actually watched it both ways um, I watched it twice before we recorded but it, it's a nice way to get you in and I remember because I saw it in theaters too it's a nice way to like ease you into the 3d um, with the way that they present the title credits yes. um, it's just another additional device that I really like and nice design thing for me as a designer too to see i love and i honestly love when they do that like i agree with you i think opening credits are really nice to have and i love when they do something with the movie like it doesn't just have to be yeah it doesn't just have to be like panning like through the streets you can (laughs) like like, i always think of the what is it never-ending story where they're like the whole opening, it's like five or ten minutes opening of the movie and they're literally just flying through the sky and it's just like... Oh, yeah. And it's really yeah, long yeah, and yeah. nothing happens. Pretty sure it's never ending story. And I remember no, being a kid right. yeah, yeah, and being right. like, oh my God, why is this so long? Nothing's happening. And then the movie starts like when the title ends and nothing happened that whole time. Yeah. So when it gets used as both like a way to show the credits and as a way to move forward the story. Because we, Brian and I watched the deleted scenes and there's a scene between two characters um, whose names are trivia. Their names are Jason and Michael. Um, And they're having a conversation like, oh, this is what happened in the mine. It's like the beginning of the party scene that we kind of get dropped into. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, so Harry Warden, and it's all Tom's fault. And they're, like, telling you basically what the opening titles told us. They cut that scene because, one, you don't need it. We don't need to be told again. And with those title credits, it removes those additional characters that we don't need to see. We don't need to know them. It's not necessary. I actually, I'm glad they cut it, too, because when I watched that scene, I was like, this makes me feel stupid. Yeah, like, like, really hit you overhead. This is this for a foreign audience. Like, we don't need to know all this information. Yeah. Um, So it came out January 16, 2009. So a month before Valentine's to get the buildup for Valentine's is what we're suspecting. Yeah. Uh, This was, like, smack dab remake season, man. Like, 09, 08, 09, 2010 was, like, I mean, we had Friday the 13th. Uh, House and Soror- well, the Sorority Row remake, uh, this one, My Bloody Valentine remake, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I'm pretty sure the Halloween remake was like 08. Um, it's all within like a couple years. We got the Final Destinations were still coming out, so we got the Final Destination this year, the worst one. Um, yeah, it was 
a big year for the unborn. It was a big year for horror. A lot of stuff was coming out. Drag Me to Hell. Oh, that's a great movie. Um, Orphan. That was a really Halloween good one. Halloween Two came oh, out it this was year. Halloween yeah. Two. So yeah, Halloween. So oh, Last, Last House, House on the, the Left, Left remake. remake. I'm telling you, it was remake season. Like, yeah. Every property, all, and it was interesting because like we had just the got, stepfather. Oh yeah. So we had just got over our J horror um, Americanizations, and we were moving back to let's remake these canadian slash american <laughs> slashers yeah um and we got a lot this year yeah or it, within a couple years yeah it made a buttload of money it cost 14 million dollars and made over a hundred million dollars which especially for a horror movie and for 2009 that's a lot of money um be included this little piece of trivia because uh, for some for some reason, my friends really think it's funny to say that Paul Blart Mall Cop is one of my favorite movies. I own that movie because my friends got it for me for Christmas. So on its four-day opening weekend, it grossed $24 million, ranking third behind Grand Torino at number two and Paul Blart Mall Cop at number one. That movie was number one in our nation. That's an issue. Just, just sit on that. That's a bummer. I'm really surprised Ben doesn't burst through the door right now. I hate kevin james like and i don't mean this in like a, like oh i don't like that i hate him like i don't he like, doesn't hate him he doesn't enjoy I hate the his movies, movies he makes i hate his movies slash tv king queen sucks you like hitch i like hitch that's yeah true. but that's because will smith um kevin james is great in that film he that's the only movie he's yeah. okay in after that he became like too bumbly oafy and also you know what like in that movie they really focus on him being goofy, but not on him being fat. Which, like, that's what drives me. I hate fat humor. Like, when it's yeah. like, the joke is because you're fat. Yeah. I'm like, it's not funny to me. Yeah. So, anyways. 57% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's about Higher the than the original. Wow. 50% for the original. 57 for the remake. Uh, Yeah. I think that's great. It's good. As we've talked about, like, that's pretty good for a horror movie. Yeah. I mean, we're not all Get Out, okay? We're not all Scream. <laughs> yeah. We're not all It. Yeah. Those are like the highest ones I can think of recently, for sure. Yeah, recently, yeah. Um, B, handle the poster. This is your... Yeah, so the poster for this film, I actually like pulled up. Because I look, you look at it and it's... It's made to look like it's a 3D yes. film, right? Yeah. So you see like the Harry Warden figure and it's... Like, coming at you, like, motion. Like, you can see him pulling back, and it's, like, faded back. And it's meant to look 3D, and the pickaxe is, like, huge in the beginning. Really like this poster. I think it's super effective. I think this fact that this film was 3D was a huge selling point. Oh, it's in the trailer. Um, it's a big part of the trailer. It is how they were marketing it. Yep. It's They were intending not to be a reason to get people to go to it, even if they weren't interested in the film. It is, another trivia fact, it is the first R-rated film to ever be shown in real 3D. Um, it's a first of its time. So it really was very innovative and unheard of. And so the fact that they use it on the poster makes complete sense. In fact, 3D is even bigger than the title. The fact that 3D is in the title, to me, is what shows that this movie was meant to be. Like, there are so many movies now, it's like, oh... You can see it. Th- I could see Black Panther in 3D if I wanted to. Marvel doesn't give a crap, though. Like, it's not like they're pushing the 3D. Like, but I think I can. I thought I saw a th- real 3D showtimes for it. But, like, the thing is, like, this movie, it's called, it's like, it reminds me of, like, 
Jaws 3D or, or you know, Friday, Friday the 13th 3D. 3D. Yeah, like they were pushing the 3D aspect yeah. of the film, and it's like it's a huge selling point. Like, go back and watch the trailer when you can. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll post we'll, it. Yeah, yeah, we'll post it. We'll tweet it. It's first of all, it's very 2000s. We thought it was fake. Yeah, I thought it was. It looks like a. It looks like a commercial for a ride. Like, yeah, that's like, what it reminds like me those of. Like those those movie those rides where you like sit in the chairs and the chairs move. Yes, that's what it looks yeah. like. Yeah, and but it's a tra- it's the real trailer yeah. and it's very like two thousands. But like the whole trailer is like showing people with three D glasses freaking out about things happening on the screen. Yeah. So and I I like the trailer too because it like shows Harry Warren like coming out of the screen and like hitting like getting close to people with a pickaxe it's cool yeah and if you type in 2009 movie posters this is right in line with the design styles of the time you have a big photographic image of your titular character or not even your titular character or your star and then you have your title big bold sans serif all caps at the bottom um it's very in line with that i think this is a very serviceable poster I think it serves its needs. I really like it. The tagline is, get your heart broken. Love it. I think it's great. Um, yeah, it's really good. Uh, no sequels, somehow. Don't understand. Um, it made $100 million. Uh, off. off a $15 million, million dollar budget. And, like, especially for the time for horror movies, like, I guarantee you that's a lot more money than The Stepfather or Sorority Row made. Um, and it sets you up for oh a sequel. God. It literally ends on a sequel note. Like, oh my, it's so frustrating. And none of these movies got sequels, by the way. Like, none no. of these movies that were all very, we talked about it on the last podcast, like, all these, oh, like, late 2000 the movies. Aunts, yeah. yeah, that all did very well. But I think the studios were just too afraid to, like, take a chance on them. I don't know what was happening. They were anti-franchise or something. Rights got in the way. I don't know, but I'm forever bitter about it. And... Fuck all of you. <laughs> Fuck all the studios. Who made this? Uh, Lionsgate. Oh, yeah. Maybe. That I sounds think. right. Yeah, yeah, Pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how. It totally deserves a sequel. It totally merits one. It made the money for it. I mean, the cast was... Like the Not main doing cast, anything else. Yeah, the main <laughs> ca- and the main cast by the end of the movie is still intact, mostly. Like, yeah. it's... I, I just... I don't get it. Uh, Michael Wandmaker... Is that really wand mocker? I'm gonna say wand maker. No mocker. Wand maker. There's no K. Olivander. <laughs> the wand maker. Yeah. Michael Wand Maker. Uh, Prana the 3D Punisher Warzone Haunting Connecticut 2 Ghost of Georgia. Oh, B left a note in that too that says fave movie title ever. And I remember when that came yeah. out. I was like, why is this movie called Haunting in Connecticut? Ghost, Ghost in of Georgia. Georgia. And I watched that movie because Chad Michael, Michael Murray's Murray. in it. Yeah. Duh, uh, of course we watch it. It's not bad. It's, it's fine. fine. The first one's really good. Yeah, it is. I really like the first With, one. With uh, Kyle Gallner. Mm-hmm. I really like the first one. Um, yeah, more. This one's pretty good, but still, I'm going to I'm gonna say it right now. It is my favorite movie, horror movie title of all time. Okay. It's that's the a best. Bold tip. Remember that, guys, in case we ever have to come what back What is going to get better than Haunting in Connecticut 2, Ghosts of Georgia? Yeah, <laughs> it's not gonna happen like i want haunting connecticut three california shores yeah like just something ridiculous like well, that yeah um more industrial sounding let's know he has here which is accurate um i actually was this time making sure to try to pay more attention to the score um 
again, it doesn't really stand out, but it does its job. Because you and I kept saying, like, this movie is actually has a really creepy atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I think it's way the score cool. does that. The like, score does it. It's super dark. Mm-hmm. Um, the cinematography, the town itself, most of the shots are actually at night, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a way darker film. And the score itself, the industrial sounding, it's darker and moodier. And I think that was in, in theme with the films of this time. And I think the score is, like, super successful at at playing that and making our Harry Warden character, like, our minor, creepy as F. Yeah, like, so that's a note I always give, like, to people who are afraid of horror movies or, like, really, f- f- like... Listen well, to it on mute. What? Listen to it Listen on, on mute. mute. Yeah. Watch it on mute because you, you'll lose the effect of yeah. it. And, like, to me, that really... That can present, like, two things. One, if a movie still scares you on mute, like, that's a scary-ass movie. Two, if you lose some of it that's a good score like yeah. when you watch hollow like halloween is still a great movie on mute but like when you lose that score it mm-hmm. loses something like there is something to be said for the scores of movies and this is one of those movies i could totally see losing that because the mm-hmm. score does a good job at building that kind of creepy tension that um definitely wasn't like it, the, the score wise doesn't exist in the original at least um also, I mean, we'll get into it, but this movie is so, so vastly different than the original. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we'll compare it at the end, but um, yeah, the device of the music. And, and I even made a note when it when we go to talk about our killer, but I'll mention it here too, is that he has a lot of uh, Michael Myers-like qualities about mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And I think... It, exactly what you were saying. I mean, there's that like famous story where John Carpenter did the score to Halloween because he watched the movie and he wasn't scary because you do have this tall, menacing, silent character who's not moving fast, mm-hmm. who's not, who's literally just like standing there stalking a girl for most of the movie. Right. Um, it's not very brutal kills. Um, so to make him scary, you really need a powerful score that just creeps you out. Which is why I think Halloween's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. It truly terrified me multiple times and still gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, listening to that song. Oh. Like, I'll listen to that song when I'm like, sometimes just out and about. And I'm like, no, I'm going to change this. I have to turn around. So this score, I think, does a really good job at making... It's not that good, but it's it's still good. But it does a really good job of making the minor even scarier even though he is a bit more brutal than yes. than Michael. Uh, Patrick Lussier directed it. Um, he was like, he had a, like four or five years there where he was doing a movie every year. He did Dracula 2000 with Gerard Butler, yeah. uh, White Noise 2, which is not great, and then um, Drive Angry, which I personally really like. Um, it's a super over-the-top like Nicolas Cage movie that's way like Grindhouse, but not like too try hard i had a lot of fun with drive angry actually um and then he kind of just dropped off the radar he hasn't done anything since except he did one he directed one episode of the scream tv show um and that's like the most he's done in a decade yeah but he was he's like a super acclaimed editor he's edited so many good things so he's not really known for directing but he was the editor for scream to scream scream 2 and scream 3 Halloween H2O, Cursed, Red Eye, obviously. He had a very close relationship with um, Wes Craven. 
Kevin Williamson. Yeah, so they had a very close working relationship. Uh, I put D3 Mighty Ducks because that was a huge movie of my childhood. I love D3. I love that movie. Um, So, man, he's, like, been a part of some uh, amazing films. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that he went from director to back down to editor because, like, Kirsten Red Eye definitely came out after this. Like, definitely came out even, well. No, same time earlier yeah, even. That's true. Yeah. yeah same time period okay yeah. I, I was just pulling things i think he's I continuing to be yeah me too i love that film so much um i really like red eye too it's good yeah it's not a horror film it's a thriller yeah. but it's really good um yeah so it's just interesting i really enjoy when we have directors like this and you just see that maybe their you know directorial history isn't as impressive but then they've worked on some really amazing things and this is very that's often why they get that opportunity to direct it's like wow you found an editor and like you know Wes craven and like you like obviously like he could be a protege or fall on the same beats as him so uh zane smith wrote it uh it has like quite a few writers on it um i mean john beard who wrote the original right yeah, so it's based on John's original screenplay, and then Zane Smith and Todd Farmer wrote it together. Todd Farmer, uh, Jason X is what he's famous for writing, unfortunately for him. Air quotes, famous for yeah. writing. And then The Messengers, which I enjoyed that movie. Is that Kristen Stewart? Yeah, the Kristen yeah. Stewart one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he makes a cameo in this film, um, which I'll, I'll talk about when we get to his kill. I have some some thoughts on it but he plays frank the truck driver um so he does write himself a very nice cameo uh Uh, yeah yeah the cast is great jensen ackles yeah jensen ackles is tom hanager so he's like the um the coal miner yeah it's hanager mines in this film it's uh harmony is the town and the actual mining is owned by his family and the whole thing, the whole plot point that brings him back to the town is that his father's passed away and left him the Hanager Mines. He is Dean in Supernatural. Yeah, I mean, he's in Dawson's Creek and Smallville as well, but like what really matters is he is Dean in Supernatural. Like and as I was watching this, yeah, I was telling B, like, as we're watching, I was like, I think overall Dean will go down as like top five favorite characters, like male characters in a TV show, because I just, I love him so much. Um, that show's on, what, season 12? No. 13? Jeez, it's ridiculous. It's well worth it. Um, it's a show that, it definitely stumbles, um, in, like, its sixth and seventh seasons. Mm -hmm. They, for those of you who aren't familiar, the base storyline, it's about two, Supernatural is about two brothers who hunt supernatural things. They're hunters. Um, the, it was a TV show, which I think makes the best TV shows as it was planned with a five season story arc. Um, so from day one, they knew where those characters would end up at season five. Mm-hmm. Um, show is extremely popular, even more so the cast and crew, very good friends really enjoyed making the show, which I think is, I know is why the show is still on besides it having a very large fan base. Rabid fan base. Um, so the creator stepped down to work on some other things. He has a show on NBC called like Timeless right now. He's worked on a few things. Anywho, they struggle a little bit through like six, seven, and eight trying to find their footing again because they didn't have that plan. And then they find it, and then they keep every single season, they just keep giving you some really interesting stories. Everything about like, 
they really go into like the Bible and angels and demons and all that stuff, but talk about like finding unknown oh, yeah. lores and um, urban legends. And it's so fun as a horror fan. I yes, highly it- recommend it for anybody who enjoys anything supernatural, anything horror whatsoever. It's a great show for that. Um, it's one of my favorite shows, one of my husband's favorite shows. Um, and the the two main characters, the brothers, Dean, um, who is Jensen Ackles, the star in this film, and then um, Jared, Padalecki. Jared Padalecki from he's from the the starring role in the Friday the Thirteenth remake that also came out this year. Mm-hmm. It's in House of Wax, Cry Wolf, um, Gilmore Girls. He plays oh, man, ironically we'll get quite a Dean. few slashers with him. Yeah, we get quite a few. He's been in quite a few more, but super good and really great horror character so just for us being big fans of that show to like see him in this role and he is a very talented actor uh is just it's weird because you watch a character play you watch an actor play a character for 13 years i've been watching supernatural since i was in eighth grade i watched the premiere when i was in eighth grade uh that's insane to me so we love him oh yeah his character is different in this though. yeah definitely not as likable no. uh jamie king um plays sarah palmer so that's a lot his girlfriend at the beginning and then she marries his best his his, his not friend. best friend his friend axel. axel uh she originally like supermodel like well not supermodel but model in like the high fashion world like runway model um transitioned into acting she's been in quite a few horror things she was aubrey in the silent night the loose silent night deadly night remake mm-hmm. um beth and mother's day um some people might know her more from like goldie and sin city um nurse betty and pearl harbor heather and white chicks um we know her from the cw show heart of dixie she plays lemon breland uh wonderful on that show and and this was one of her first acting roles and it shows yeah it's not the greatest performance by her and i am a fan of her especially from heart of dixie that's when i oh, really yeah. fell for yeah, her yeah. Um, I, li- I like jamie king for the most part but yeah and you can watch the gag reel too like you can see she just struggles with yeah. acting a little bit it, but she's new to it she's they also dress her really weird in this movie yeah so that kind of like is off-putting a lot of the time i don't know it's a, it's strange it's a strange she doesn't have a lot of um chemistry oh not a lot she has zero chemistry with, with either, either character characters of her male interests so like the love triangle still exists but we it's not believable because not you're just like none of these people have feelings for each other and and jensen who plays tom is really trying yeah. And you could tell, like, there's some scenes when you're like, oh, yeah, he really still cares for her. And then they start talking to each other, and you're like, what the hell? No chemistry. Uh, they do something. So it hasn't really come up yet. Um, I was thinking about uh, it's Women in Horror Month, and I do contribute to Ryan's website, Ghastly Grinning, and I kind of did – I was asked if I wanted to do, like, a spotlight on me and, like, my role in the industry and what I think um, horror, like, how women in horror is right now. And and when I was responding to that, those questions and writing the article, I just kept thinking, like, part of the issue with women not being represented is, like, our voices aren't heard and our our um, views aren't viewed as valid because what do we know about horror movies? We're just girls. I faced that a lot and actually was something that deterred me from wanting to start this podcast. 
um, because I was like, well, Ryan's seen way more horror movies than me, and I don't really know what I'm talking about, and and I'm not good enough. I don't know enough, and and that's something that I was like, whatever. My voice is still valid, and I have a unique perspective that somebody like Ryan or other people don't have. So when I was watching that this movie, I was really trying to. I was really thinking like, man, have I not brought that up in the podcast enough? Like what my unique view is and like sort of more maybe my more feminist take. Um, and I realized it just hasn't come up. Mm-hmm. There's been no situations in any of the movies that we've watched that I have uh, felt like, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable with this or the mm-hmm. misogyny in this yeah. is like a little extreme. Uh, they dress, Jamie, Jamie King um, is like the gorgeous love interest. Like I said, she's was a model before she was uh, an actress when they do the 10-year forward in this film, they decide that because she's a mom, they need to dress her in the frumpiest clothes possible. Yep. Everything she's wearing is super baggy. Um, and I know the style is different, but guess what? I was dressing. I was a woman at the time. I was also wearing clothes. And I knew young moms, and they did not dress like that. They just make her look so like homely and that, they try and play down her looks. at one point i was like was she pregnant because like the clothes they were like very flowy yeah and like like flared out at the bottom and like very baggy so and i know a lot of times in movies that's like you know what one thing they'll do in movies or television shows pregnancy. is to hide a pregnancy is that they'll do that so there you can't see it as much so i was like was she pregnant when they were filming this or something and she's like no like she have kids until recently so i'm like why did they dress her like this and that's b pointing out and she's like because she's like the mom now and she's a working lady and like they're trying know. to like they're trying to paint this image that tom left and she settled for axel and she had a kid and now she works at the supermarket and she's just this down and out girl who used to be like the prettiest girl in school and that really fucking bugs me and i don't think that was necessary for the plot whatsoever there was no reason to downplay her looks because she works at a supermarket or well, stayed in town like, or because she's a mom. Okay, here's the <sighs> biggest thing, too. So you find out her husband's cheating on her with, like, a younger, more attractive woman. You know, quote, unquote. Like, I, I don't think she's, like, more attractive. But she works at the same grocery store. She Yeah. She's, like, literally a co-worker of hers. Like, so like lower. Yeah. Like, she is a clerk, and um, so I was like, oh. Sarah is the manager. Because that's the only reason I could see them, like, making her dress like that is because, like, oh, he's cheating on her. But the thing is, like, still unnecessary because he's just kind of a douchebag anyway, so. Yeah, the way you really... dress doesn't make your husband cheat on you. Yeah. That's not how that works. So, it was a little frustrating. Yeah, it's sending a lot of, like, messages that I think we are trying to overcome, and so that kind of bugged me. And then the treatment of Megan, who is played by uh, Megan, Megan Boone, Boone. Yeah. Um, who really hasn't done much. She's Elizabeth. She's like the star She's in the, the Blacklist. She's the star of the Blacklist, yeah. Um, now, but at the time, she wasn't really in much. And they do everything to sexualize her. And Irene. Um, and Irene. And so I think that contrast, too, makes this a little bit more troublesome for me than I've noticed so far. Um so it's interesting. Uh, Kara Smith plays Axel Palmer. He's Carter in Final Destination. And Jack in Dawson's Creek, uh, he previously before this worked with Jensen in Dawson's Creek. Yep. Um, so they were in that together. Um, Betsy Rue as Irene. Hasn't been in much. She was Ashley in Lucky Bastard, which she is She plays kind a of, porn star in yeah. that movie. It's a found footage horror movie about a guy who wins a date with a porn star. Yeah. And then he 
he murders her. I'm going to tell you what happens because no one has seen this movie except me, apparently. It's not great. And I was watching this, and I was like, um, that girl's a porn star. And B's like, it's her makeup. It makes her look – also, she was 100% naked at the time. Yeah, full frontal. So I was like, I'm pretty sure she's in porn. And so I looked it up, and I was like, oh – she was in a movie where she's a porn star. That's why I thought she was a porn star. Always that awkward moment when your best friend's a guy and he's like, oh, that chick's a porn star. And I'm like, I don't need to know why you know that. I, that's not why. Like, I don't know the names. I don't. Do porn stars exist now with the internet? Like, I feel like they don't. Like, the only porn stars I know are the ones who, like, transitioned to, to somewhat acting. Beta. Like, yeah. Like, or, like, celebrity. Well, also, like, as a kid, like, for some reason, I don't know why, but everyone's like, Janet Jameson. So I know that name. And then, oh, yeah. what's her name? Sasha Gray, I oh, think. Yeah. She was in that movie, um, oh, yeah, Open but she's Windows, like an actress. with Elijah Wood. Yeah, and I didn't even know she was a porn star until, like, way later. And I was like, oh, that chick. And someone's like, oh, yeah, she got super famous. I'm not going to say why she got yeah. super famous. But she got super famous doing this. I was like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, who is this person? Eddie G- G- Gathagy? So, Eddie Gathagy, here's another troublesome part of this film. Oh, um, that's our, to- our literal token, token black, black guy. guy. He's the only black guy in town. And, like, nobody in the background, nothing. There's no other person of any kind of color. And so why even have him? Like, we made a comment that the the mining town of Valentine Bluff is all white. Just make Harmony a white town. Because having the deputy be black and nobody else was just blaringly obvious. You're like, why? What? Okay, whatever. Um, X-Men First Class, he's Darwin. Um, he's in the blacklist. Um, which is funny. He's Laurent in Twilight. I think that was really what he was in before this. Yeah. And I have to put this in here. Um, he is in season three. He's an episode of season three in Veronica Mars. I especially highlighted because the episode of this, of the, because the title of the episode is called I Know What You'll Do Next Summer. got it. So that's why I put it in there. Um, Veronica Mars is the greatest piece of television to ever grace the world and uh horror vet tom atkins shows up as sheriff burke who's the sheriff when harry warden had his original like killing spree and he, he retires uh yeah he retires you'll know him famously as nick in the fog um he's an escape from new york so he's obviously like a john carpenter guy uh and then also b hates him in halloween 3 season of the witch uh but tom atkins is very well known to, for having one of the best cinematic mustaches in horror history um i season of the witch ruined him for me and i'm so mad because i love the fog but now every time i see him i just get angry just let it well sometimes you can't let it go i can't let it go maybe in like a couple years um and then kevin teague has been fully uh he was in another 48 hours the he was anthony cooper and lost in the show emergency and then Megan Boone, we mentioned, is in Blacklist. Ryan, when we're watching this, he's like, I wonder if her name is Megan because she couldn't respond to anything else. Because what, there's some Tony Danza. Right? Okay, Tony, Tony Danza. Tony Danza from Taxi and Who's the Boss. His name is Tony in those shows because he, they would say his, they ha, he had a different name. And they would say it and he never responded. So anytime I see someone in a movie and their name is their actual name, I'm like, I wonder if it's because the Tony Danza <laughs> the, reason. The Tony Danza effect. <laughs> um, it's definitely a holiday slasher. Ki- okay, so it's a holiday slasher, kind of, and it's a teen scream, kind, kind of, of, because they're basically more in like their mid twenties. And also, like, yes, it is a Valentine's Day movie, but the the original murder happens on Valentine's Day. 
and that's pretty much it like other than like sending heart-shaped boxes as a gift with hearts in them there's no real valentine like they don't mention valentine's day except for very early on in the movie like the very like almost to remind you the movie like once you do the 10-year flash forward it starts with like a reporter a reporter talking to axel and he gets pissed about like valentine's day and how it's a bullshit holiday because like it was only made by hallmark and that's pretty much the only time it is even mentioned like you see some red and pink balloons you see some posters for like valentine's day stuff going on but that's it like that's the only mention you lose there's no like even the original um not the original movie but the original in this party scene like where harry warden does go on his kill streak they're there on Valentine's Day, but that's not mentioned. Like it it's literally not like looks it's like a Valentine's Day event. They're no, just partying. They're in the literally mind. drinking in the mines. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Um, it's because it kind of falls in between on both of those. Because uh, it does feel like a teen scream. Like it has like that cat and mouse aspect, um, that whodunit aspect. It's just um, not as. It's just a lot darker yeah. than your typical teen scream. Uh, the, the young, attractive people. Uh, the iconic weapon is definitely the pickaxe. Again, it's not his only weapon. It is in this film. Is it really? It's his only weapon. Wow. Um, other than a dryer. Um, mm-hmm. It's used very effectively, though. Yeah. And um, Harry Warden is a beast in this movie. Like, in the, I mean, in the original Harry Warden slash Axel is... Mm-hmm. like definitely brutal and he has some brutal kills but in the, i mean like the original so in this one harry warden on his original killing street is a monster yeah like, annihilates an entire hospital full of people oh it's it's and it's just bloody, bloody. it's so bloody and there's just like pieces bodies are ripped open there's blood everywhere like body parts hanging over like it's exactly what i want yeah and i love it it's like balls to the wall gore it's so gory and all of the like kills in this so there's some that pay homage to the original um but they're even those ones they're just done so much more graphically mm-hmm. and he uses the pickaxe oh he uses the shovel harry warner uses shovel in this one because there's that kill where he oh yeah shovel in her face and the top of her head slides off the shovel but like there's just so many times where like he literally rips off tom atkins jaw with the pickaxe like he he shoves it through the bottom of his um, jaw and rips his jaw off yeah you know he takes he stabs the pickaxe into the ground and shoves a guy head through it um it's brutal yeah it's a brutal ass movie like it the, is like hatchet level holy shit like, it matches just... it does matches the brutality of the yeah. original because the original is brutal too but mm-hmm. it's it had more freedom i think and just more technology wise as far as like effects go to be a lot bloodier well and there's something about the original like even though the kills they feel less aggressive if that makes sense like even though the kills themselves are happening they're just something with the way and it might be the score in the original um the original feels less aggressive yeah. you know what yeah. i think it is and i because I, I thought that too and i was like i feel so i think harry warden in the original or, or harry warden and axel both um the kills are brutal but like he's a little more He's not as savage. He's not as brutal. Like, he's, like, I don't think the actor, spoiler, it's, they flip it. It's not Axel in this movie. It's, it's Tom. It's Tom. So it's Jensen Ackles. I don't think for a lot of the movie, I, w- I wanted to look into this and I forgot to. Actually, no, we talked about it because he's actually a big guy. But I think they film him to look smaller to throw you off because he looks 
freaking huge. Like, yeah. Harry Warden, like, he looks massive. Like, there's a couple times, like, when he shows up well, in the grocery store. Well, actor who plays Harry Warden is, is like, Yeah, big. he's big. Yeah, so, like, so, like, Harry looks huge, and he just, he, he moves with more, he never runs, but he moves with more, um, like, urgency than yeah. Harry Warden did. In the original, like, there's a lot of walking. And but it seems, like, so much lighter and quicker, mm-hmm. and in this one, it really is kind of like that, and it's, it really is true to its time, feels like that, like, Hall, like, Rob Zombie Michael Myers, where yes. you're just, like beefed up and bigger and heavier and yeah i definitely i i agree with you because like the when i look at the execution of the kills in the original they're as brutal but when i look at like the actual act of the kill it seems much more Mm -hmm. violent and And also just a little more savage because i think with this one too you see like him like really a, like straight up like attack like go on the offensive where in the original it's kind of like he once he has you you're done but in this one he like spends a while like beating the shit out of some people and like really making them Mm -hmm. suffer um there's a lot of kills in this movie there's technically 22 from harry warden oh no um we 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 need to talk talk about about. so harry warden's kill is um it's similar to the original um harry warden the killer himself uh he he does go crazy and like being stuck in the mine he wakes up out of that coma and he basically goes to take it out on who he blames which is tom hanniger and he goes back to the mine and on his way there he has a 22 person kill streak yeah. um so he murders 22 people you don't see them all you, you probably see, see like seven see, six well seven. we see the bodies of all the people like oh, massacred yeah. in the hospital which is like gory as f and then we on camera see three characters killed by so Harry yeah Morgan. we see the sh- the shovel the shovel kill the axe through the eye which is an homage to happy in the original and then um an axe through the face so those are the three we see from him and those two of those characters are like the Jason and Michael, which I mentioned, who had like more dialogue in deleted scenes, and obviously their names are a play to our our horror icons. And, um, yeah, and so very much like the original, Harry gets away, and it's like this question of like, is he still alive? There's no like, there's there's less time in between like the original um, killing spree and like him coming back than in the original. It's ten years, and in the original, it's twenty. Um, and the town is still like every single year they make a point saying every year reporters come on valentine's day and want to talk about the massacre and they can't forget and there's no question it's not like in the original where it was kind of like this folklore like um boogeyman tale to tell the kids to keep them out of trouble there's no everyone in town knows harry warren was real and this really happened and that it was probably tom's well recorded yeah um and then, but Harry is shot by Tom Atkins in, in the mine and, and, and leaves, uh, but he gets away. Unlike the original, we find out legitimately that they killed him, like went on a witch hunt and straight up murdered him. And that becomes a, like a central plot point because when they're trying to figure it out and like everyone's like, oh, it's Harry Warden. They're like, no, we, we killed we him. him. We buried yeah. him. Um, so we find out, despite some red herrings, it's Tom, which I thought was interesting that they switch it from Axel. Yeah. I thought it was smart, though. Yeah, for fans of the original. Exactly. For fans of the original, go in. And realistically, watching the original, you could see it going either mm-hmm. way. So to flip it, and um, how it works is in this one is Tom, 
Tom goes crazy after being blamed, and then at, when he leaves town, he goes, um, he's attacked by Harry Warden, which forces him to leave town, and he's, like, taken on the blame, and, like, lots of, basically, like, it's implied that he kind of has a mental breakdown, because, you know, his conscience is weighing on him, he feels like he caused this 22-person well, massacre. And he almost died. Like, right. it's really confusing when you first start watching the movie, and if it's been a while, which it had been for me, you see, like, Harry, like, actual Harry Wharton, like, go after Tom yep. and, like, almost kill him. And I'm like, what the hell? And he's, like, shaking, terrified with fear. Like, he almost dies. And his and friends his friends and girlfriend left him. Yes. Like, They're, they like, leave. driving up the mountain, getting away. And he's only, he runs into the mine to get away. And the person who saved him was the sheriff at the time, Tom Atkins' character. He is only saved because they shoot him. And he, like, gets, an, like, a wound and everything. And that's not, like, a life-altering traumatic experience. I don't know what is. So it's kind of like they're playing that double edge. Like, he survived a very horrific traumatic experience where he basically was like, I'm, I'm about to die very brutally. Plus, the whole reason for um harry even going on this killing spree is because he didn't clear the methane lines Mm -hmm. and they got trapped and so he has to deal with the guilt that those people died because of him in the mine and the 22 people that harry warden murdered so like essentially 28 people are dead because of him this actually now that like we are talking about it a little bit Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Like, a totally adopts the the, per- the killer that traumatized him. Yes. Um, and kind of has that mental breakdown, too. And the whole movie, it's kind of being played, and there's a deleted scene that plays into a little bit more, because you're kind of wondering, like, is this on purpose? Like, is he thoughtfully, like, um, consciously switching between, like, kind of the persona of Harry uh, Warden. Tom and Harry yeah. Warden? But there is a deleted scene where, like, you see one of the, like, at like you basically see him think someone else is harry warden and like you kind of realize like no he legit thinks like harry warden is after him and like he doesn't he doesn't quite realize what's happening he's not really sure and like for him the kind of explanation is that he is so terrified and sees harry warden coming after him he's having these like psychotic visions basically and then Harry Warden like takes over his body mm-hmm. and he takes on the persona. And so you're kind of I think what they're trying to tell you is that Tom isn't aware of what he's yes. really doing when he's Harry Warden. Exactly. Yeah. He's like has like basically a split personality. Mm-hmm. He's taking on Harry Warden. Yeah. And then he switches back to Tom after he does the killing and isn't really sure what's happening. It's so much so there was one point where I asked me, I was like, do you think it's almost like he's supernaturally possessed? Like, that's how much he's becoming Harry Warden. It's not him. Like, I felt like in the original, a a little more, it was just Axel was a sociopath. Yeah. And used Harry Warden as a conduit. Yeah, but in this one, it's very much him, like, becoming Harry Warden. He's having it. And I think that's a better motive. I do, too. Yeah. I think it's more effective, and I think it's a better story. I think it makes for a more sympathetic character, too. Um, cause there is that part at like near the end of the movie where he like is yelling at, um, what's her name? Sarah. And he thinks Harry Warden's behind her. Yeah. He's um, like trying to save her. Yeah. So, uh, his kill count, Tom's kill count is nine. Which is average. So, uh, basically after Tom gets back to town, like the whole town's pissed. He's selling the mines. Um, he's kind of rekind, like, I mean, Sarah's married, but unhappy. And like, he's trying to take advantage of it. Um, 
and he's also like so we're kind of like being reintroduced all the characters that were there in the beginning because none of like our main characters were killed in the beginning um so the very first kill that happens is like tom checks into this hotel where he's staying the night um and we realize that his the, the person staying next door to him is irene who is a hooker now well um, no she's not i thought she got paid no she's saying i'm not a hooker don't pay me oh yeah so she's a, a woman yes <laughs> i so, thought she okay so I thought, yeah so they kind of explain that it's kind of hard but and the only reason i picked up on it is because like i said i watched the movie twice i watched gotcha. it on valentine's day like with my husband and we watched it in 2d um and then ryan and i watched it together in 3d um so there's a couple of things i picked up on the second time that i didn't get the first time and so i believe irene makes some dialogue where she's like don't fucking pay me and that's why she gets so pissed because he throws money at her and she's like i'm not a hooker gotcha they just have a relationship um, um he's well, married she, but yeah he's married like you can she's just she likes to have sex. Yeah. She also admires herself while she has sex. She's like, yeah, she's, point, she's very... like, I look so good right now. No, I really like it. And you can tell, obviously, from the roles that this actress has taken. She's super comfortable with her body. She obviously doesn't care. She's doing, like, full frontal nudity. She doesn't care. And I like that. I really enjoy that, that she's like, my body. Like, And they paint that character who's very proud mm-hmm. and is like, no, I'm just a regular person. I'm not, like, some hooker just because... I'm like have naked and having, yeah. yeah, and she doesn't care. She storms out naked. And I was reading some trivia. The that's not intended. The full nudity. She the sex scene is, but when she comes out, she wraps the the sheet around her. Oh. But the actress, like the formatting of it, like walking out with her heels and everything, that she just couldn't make it happen with the sheet without falling down. So she's like, screw it, I'll just do it without it. So it was her choice, which if you have an issue with like the nudity, which I don't at all, Mm -hmm. that is her choice to just do the whole rest of the movie completely nude because they couldn't figure out. And I'm sure they could have worked if she was adamant, they would have figured out how to get the towel on or they would have thrown a bra on or something, but she didn't care. So why not? That's legit. Um, We... The person she's having sex with is Frank the Trucker, who we find out, I found out when I did research, is the writer of this film. That really fucking bugs me. I well, I just need to know, though, like, did he do it or was it the director like, hey, Frank, you want a cameo? Like, I just want to know. Yeah, maybe Because if can. he wrote himself in as the one sex scene in the movie, little creepy. Little creepy. Yeah, there's something that like bugs me a little bit that the writer has a cameo in the film. No big deal. That's cool. There's one sex scene in this film. There's only one other sexual encounter that happens, and we see the aftermath, and both people are clothed. Uh, this is the only sex scene in the film, and it's the only nudity, and it happens with the writer of the movie that kind of like excuses me out i don't know the circumstances like ryan said maybe it was the director and was like hey you should take this role or maybe he wrote it and didn't intend himself to be in that role sometimes it even happens where like they cast someone and then there was something happened and they're like uh we need, we need somebody but if if it is if it is he wrote himself into the role i agree weird it's a little skeezy weird uh, the hotel clerk, oh, so the trucker is first to get murdered, opens the door to leave as Irene is chasing after him, fully naked. Oh, because he films her. Yeah, he yeah. films her and she's trying to get the tape back. And he opens the door of his truck and immediately just Harry Warden pickaxe, 
right through the top of his dome, which is even more effective because he's bald. So it's just like this brutal... Like big hole on the top of his head. Yeah, this brutal kill. So um, really kicks off like right where we're going. And like once this movie... Oh, no. Not even once this movie gets to the killing. Once this movie starts, it's like 10 minutes tops between kills. There's It's non-stop kill, There's kill, so much kill. murder. It's, yeah. And like when... The, like especially this one there's three murders like three kills in this in the span of like five minutes because he gets killed irene's running away hides under the bed the hotel clerk thinks she like hears her like hears some noise and thinks her cat got into the room so she comes in um and she is played by um what is what's the politically correct term here a little person a little person and so dude this, and this is, like, kind of why this movie, to me, I was like, they gave no fucks. Because, like, she's played by a little person. And he comes in, and he just takes a pickaxe, and he lifts her up through the ceiling. Like, oh just God. through the bottom of her head and sticks her And, like, all the this, lighting yeah. picture and, like, the ceiling, like, tile things, like, come apart. And, yeah, it's a yeah. very, like, brutal, like, brutal massacre. And then... Irene, he finds Irene who's hiding under the bed and she like freaks out. So she, she picks the bed up and it's like, um, it's a, the bed frame is like, um, you can like see the, it's like caged. Yeah. So she like kind of corners herself so he can't quite get to her. Um, and he grabs the pickaxe from the ceiling and he starts stabbing at her and he like takes a couple shots at her head before he finally like realizes that there, well, there's one part of her body that's not moving and just right through the stomach um we don't see the full kill until later because um they get her heart sent like axel gets her heart sent to him and then there's there's photos of the kill and he also is on the crime scene and she's in this like heart-shaped bathtub with her heart literally ripped out and it's like there's there's two people i think that have their hearts ripped out in this Mm -hmm. and it's both times they spare no expense with like full like rib cage freaking ripped open stomach completely gored yeah. like blood tons of blood entails, everywhere like entrails just like hanging out of the body it's very very brutal um so like those are back to back to back and that's pretty much how we start like tom's killing streak um trying to remember that like so then he goes like he's going into the mine because there's all the town drama that he's selling the mine and the night before he like got in like a bar fight essentially and with some of the older guys and also some of the new miners yeah some of the new miners like oh because yes they still blame him and then now they're like we're all gonna lose our jobs because you're selling the mine to like a corporation so now they especially hate him so one of the guys he got in a bar fight with um when he goes to like visit the mine, he's looking for Ben, one of like the elder guys to who he's like doing the deal with. Um, one of the bar fight guys like takes him down, and this is like the scene in the movie where they really trick you. Yep. So he goes down there, and like the whole time you think like, oh yeah, so maybe it's Tom. He like gets locked. What you see is Harry Warden locking Tom in this, like, office, basically. But it's, like, wire. Um, It's, like, an office down, like, in the mine. And kill, like, get into an altercation. Like Ryan was saying, like, this character, this mining character fights. Like, he's literally fighting. And he's, like, on the ground and, like, boot kicks the pickaxe, like, into 
the forehead of the like bar fight guy and the whole time tom is like trapped in the cage yeah, and, like, Harry watching Ward- it harry warden puts him in the cage and literally like takes a pickaxe and bends the lock so he can't get out so the whole time he's like banging on the cage screaming for help and yeah. like so he's still in it after this guy is murdered and they come down and find him. So and find that it's like the lock is like been well, like not welded, but like bent so that he couldn't get out. There's an interesting part, like once you know that and you rewatch it and you like remember explicitly, like it is Tom. When he gets locked in, there's this scene where you're facing and you see the profiles of both Harry Warden and Tom and they're staring at each other. Yeah. And that is like your true scene that that's like sort of. His psychosis putting Harry Warden doing that. Right. Which I really like that that scene is completely asymmetrical. Like Harry's yeah. at the exact same angle and everything. Because they same bend height. down at the same yeah, time. Yeah, everything. Like, so it really plays into like. They're the same. What, once you know. Yeah. yeah. And and I like it too because while watching, I did remember Tom. This because this wasn't my first viewing. I remember Tom wasn't the killer. So while watching, I was like, do they explain this? Because if they same. don't, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. And they do. Like they show that he was able to reach through a part of the cage and bend up with the pickaxe to lock himself from inside and it works it's not like hokey or like shoehorned in it like actually works so i appreciated that um tom gets in a huge fight with ben because ben's saying like basically you know like everyone already hates you in this town you're gonna lose like your only friend and like if you don't watch out you're gonna be the next one to get killed and tom goes yeah or you and sure enough ben gets hella drunk that night and he's walking around in his shotgun shotgun. yeah um so good i want his house so, yeah, his house is baller. All, all their houses are baller in this. Yeah. But he hears a noise, goes out the porch. This part was creepy. And, again, this is, like, why I kind of think, like, Harry Warden in this one was a little more creepy. Like, he's in the house, and there's that scene. He's walking back into his room, and, like, Harry comes across the screen with such, like, velocity for, like, a, he's still walking. He's not running. But, he like, he has intent. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell. And he just, he just walks and slams that pickaxe into his shoulder. And there's a brief struggle. This is the one where he slams the pickaxe into the ground. There's like a brief struggle where he's like pushing Ben's head in. This was like a little bit of humor in the movie too, with like the the dark humor because Ben just resolves and he's like, "Oh shit!" And yeah, he, he shoves, shoves his, his head, head through the pickaxe. Yeah, and this is one of the and we haven't really brought it up except for in the beginning, but they do such a good job of using the 3D, like giving it a purpose. Yeah. So in this, it's like when you're watching it in 3D, like you see the axe like on the ground and it's like your head is the one going into it. Yep. So they use, all these devices work in 2D. And when I watch it in 2D and when I first watched it on Valentine's Day, it had, I basically didn't remember the movie. Like, I remembered that Jensen Ackles' character was the killer, and that's about it. I remember really liking it, but I realized I hadn't seen it in, like, seven years. Um, And like I mentioned before, memory is not the best. Um, And I haven't seen the movie. I've only seen the movie twice, so I hadn't seen it enough to, like, really embed my memory with it. But even watching it in 2D, the kills were still effective, but I even thought, like, oh, yeah, like, I get why they did it that way because it makes it so much cooler in 3D. All of the kills. Yeah, like, um, I mean, in the beginning of the movie, he throws the pickaxe through, the, like, a truck window, which was, like, a really cool 3D effect. Yeah. The shovel effect is really cool when the face slides off the so, shovel. Because it slides, like, towards you. Yeah, slides towards you. Like, so there's numerous things where, like, <laughs> the pickaxe through the face where the eye pops out, which is the homage, like, the eyes hanging on it. So it's, like, right in your face. Yeah. 
I appreciate that they use the 3D device, but that doesn't hinder the movie. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't go like, oh, well, you can't watch it in 2D because the whole time you're just like, oh, my God, I know that was like just supposed to pop out at me. They don't use it for jump scares. Yes. They do it for added effects to the already good kills. So that's like Friday the 13th Part 3, which is in 3. There are shots in that movie that when you watch it in in 2D, you're like, this shot is so weird. Yeah. And it's because they were like intending for the 3D shot. Like when he's standing on the edge of the lake and he shoots the arrows the one I always think of because they do like a POV from the front of the arrow I'm like this is the weirdest fucking yeah. shot it's like oh it's because it's supposed, it's supposed to be in 3D, 3D. Um, the next kill is Megan so um, Megan and Sarah are in the grocery store they're doing their inventory basically and uh, Harry gets into the store and chases them into the back office and um, Sarah's able to escape like they open the back window little issue here because like harry's like pounding on the door or tom's pounding on the door with the pickaxe and they're about to escape through the back window and he's gone and like sarah is smart enough to realize like wait something's wrong he's not at the door anymore he gets around that supermarket really fast and like they even go around the supermarket later like a couple minutes later when her husband gets there and they go to investigate like you could do it you just couldn't do it as fast as he does it but he gets back there takes megan um, and Axel shows up when Sarah's running out of the front of the market, and we we don't see the actual kill, but we see Megan after the kill. This is another one where her heart is ripped out. It's brutal as shit. Just like she's laying there, her her stomach up, is like yeah. wide open, like body parts everywhere, and a little cheesy, but I I dig it. It's written above her head in blood, uh, "Be mine forever," which is also a throwback because when you find out Axel is cheating on Sarah with uh, Megan. She gives him a Valentine that says that. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's it's once you realize that it's Tom, he's like he's messing with Axel at this yeah. point. Um, because she was also pregnant with his kid, which is a completely unnecessary plot point. Yeah, she like whispers it to him because he's like, "I didn't get you a Valentine," because she gives him chocolates, and she's like, "Yes, you did. I'm pregnant." And then and she like whispers it. Ryan missed it. I missed, I missed it, it the first yeah. time. I only caught it the second time I watched it. And then I was like, and then it just doesn't ever get brought to his attention. Ever, yeah. And it wasn't in the deleted scenes. There was nothing mentioned about it. So it was kind of weird. But I think they they try really hard to make all these characters, like, pretty malicious. And, like, pretty unlikable. They're all, other than Sarah, everyone is an asshole. Like, the sheriff, Ben, Megan um axel especially and even like tom mostly like they're all kind of despicable humans she's the only one which makes sense she's your final girl but like man they really ramped it up as far as like no 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 they all deserve to die like everyone deserves to die and it's kind of funny because like there is a scene like near the end of the movie where she is trying to decide who to shoot tom or axel and axel's like you know what fuck it shoot us both because like I, it gives him a little bit of credence of like, well, he does love her deep down and like he yeah. doesn't want her to get hurt. But also I think it's a little bit of like, we're both kind of shitty. So yeah, like shoot like us both. We, yeah, it doesn't matter. We can both die. Uh, Tom breaks into Axel and Sarah's house, murders the babysitter uh, who we, this is another homage to the original. So he hits her with the ax, but he puts her in the dryer. So she is found later by like an on-duty officer and the retired sheriff. 
uh, when they come to investigate the house, and her whole body is melted. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's really gross. It's really gross. Um, and then Sheriff Burke is murdered immediately after. On the porch. Yeah, he's on the porch. Uh, Thomas tricked him, hid the mining light off the patio, and he goes over to investigate, turns around, and pickaxe. This is the one, pickaxe through the bottom of the throat, rips, literally li- rips his like lower mandible off. Um, and his like tongue and shit just fly towards the screen. It's yeah, I thought cool. that was an interesting thing though that didn't get like super explored. Um, that Tom breaks into the house and doesn't do anything to the kid, like doesn't take the kid. Yeah, doesn't like kill the kid or try to try. Well, to the deputy the survives. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the deputy and does she's survive. so yeah. it's like once he kills the sheriff Burke, he moves on. And that's true. Yeah. So he was mostly just going after the sheriff. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you like you realize he's like he's going after the people that were involved in the first kill, but he's mm-hmm. also going after Axel. Yeah. Um, because that's why he kills Megan, and that's how uh, Sarah eventually kind of like that's one of the pieces she puts together to realize like that it's Tom because she's like megan had nothing to do with the original killings like how yeah why, why is she, she involved? involved why are they going and she makes a comment to axel like they're going after you axel like i'm not stupid i know what's going on between you and megan yeah and when she says that you kind of realize like her behavior towards her in the supermarket totally makes sense like she's aware of what's happening yep um she's not stupid uh because trust me they make it very obvious they don't hide it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like, oh, okay, like the opening scene where Megan's like in the like soda shop place. You're like, oh, they're fucking. Like, yeah, immediately. That's happening. It's so, like, it's, it's so, it's so obvious to, to everyone know. in that yeah. shop. Yeah. They want you to know. Um, after Sheriff Burke, this is like the pinnacle climax, the climax of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, we see like Tom and Sarah. Tom's like, I have to show you something. Get in the car with me. I found like Axel's dad's place. You need to see it. And this is when you're like, okay, what the fuck is happening? I'm so confused. Who is doing the killings? Like, and Sarah's like on the phone, like Axel calls her and is like, get out of the car. Don't trust him. And she is just like, what do I do? Do I trust my, the love of my life? Who is, all of this started happening when he came back to town. My husband is telling me that he was in a mental hospital for the last 10 years. He, like, he was institutionalized. Well, Axel's, like, doing things, like, when he calls her, he's like, you can divorce me, you can leave me, I don't care. Just, Just get, get out, out of, of that car. car. And so then she's like, or do I trust my cheating husband who's done nothing but, like, be shitty to me, um, but now is, like, telling me, like, leave me, I don't care what you do, just... You know, you know me. We've been together for the last 10 years. Just get out of the car. And, like, what a, like, I really appreciate, this is the only part of, like, the three-way type story arc that I really think is solid. Yeah. Because you truly are, like, do you trust your former flame who broke your heart? Or do you trust, like, your, your partner, even though they've done things that make you not trust them? Who do you believe? And they do a good job, too, of bouncing back and forth because at this point you're like, well, fuck, it's obviously Tom. And then they get – so she she does wreck the car. She's like, I need to get out of the car. Like, I got to see my kid. He's like, you're lying. And so she intentionally wrecks the car and she's kind of like chased up to the house. And she finds all the stuff from Megan that's there from Axel but also like all these – and like she knows it's Axel's dad's house. And like she finds all these like heart-shaped boxes and so she – 
again kind of bounces like leans back towards like maybe it is axel and like maybe tom is trying to help me so they finally like she's running away from tom and finds herself in the mines when like axel shows up and that's where we finally realize it's axel because he slips and he's like they're like they're basically yelling at her reasons why it's not them and he goes oh yeah well like axel or tom says what about like what about megan you know like and it was written be mine forever like your valentine and she's like i never told you that and also how would you know it's written in there like above her even and if i, I told didn't you tell you megan was dead yeah yeah so that's when we finally realize and he has a vision of harry coming up behind her walking straight up to him and kind of merging with him and it kind of like you can see it in his eyes it clicks that like he's the killer now and he starts going after sarah and axel mm-hmm. um he does get Axel, like, you think he's going to, like, he gets Axel pretty good, so, like, right in the gut. Um, and, and, yeah, this is the part that's really hard about this movie because they have painted everybody as, like, such shitty characters. You're not really rooting for either of them. Like, you don't really care if Axel dies. Like, you just kind of want Sarah to get out, which is, like Ryan said, that's your final goal. You That's that's who you should care about, and you want her to be the one to survive, but you're like, those two are fighting, and you just kind of want to be like, Sarah, just run. Get out of there. Like, yeah, for real, because she's, like, humbling, or, like, like she's basically, like, trying to help her being husband. a crutch, yeah. yeah. This was, like, the coolest shot in the movie. Like, be, like, made sure she's, like, watch this. Like, it's really cool. So he's full on, Tom's full on, like, Harry Warren mode. He's but got the he's pickaxe. he's not in costume. Yeah, he's dressed as himself, but he's chasing them, and he has a pickaxe, and he's um, slamming out the light bulbs as he walks by them. Really good choice on um, the director's part, on Lucier's part, because every time he hits a light bulb, when the light shatters and we get that flash of light, we get, it looks like Harry Warden. He's, like, in the costume. It's so cool. It's a really effective shot, oh. and it's super, super cool. It looks awesome. It's, like, not cheesy at all. It totally plays into, like, everything that they've been, like, showing, uh, at, like, how Tom sees himself and what's going on, and it's just a really cool shot. Um, the, the final, like, kill is a little cheese ball. Like, Axel has one bullet left. He's like, you got to take him down. You got one shot. And yeah, she... like, my finger is not strong enough to pull the trigger. And so she turns and shoots Tom. It goes through his gut and happens to hit, like, a gas line behind him. And this big cheesy fireball, like, hits him. And this, the cave starts to, like, cave in. And they escape. And the movie ends with Axel. The, the rescuers go in and they find him. And he's still alive. But Tom. He's, Tom is still alive, yeah. And he's trapped, though. And they go to get him out, and he has the pickaxe still near him, and he smashes the rescuer, the rescuer. in the face. Yeah. In the deleted scene, this is where you see that he thinks the rescuer is Harry. In the not deleted scene, it just looks like he's a malicious asshole. So that's that for me was like that was kind of I wish that deleted scene had stayed in because yeah, it, swapped it out. Yeah, yeah, it stays a little more in theme with what they were going for. And then we see Tom leave in the rescuer suit. And rip off the mask. He rips off the mask, and that's how the movie ends. Yeah. So it sets up perfectly for a sequel that we never got. But they do, when when Sarah realizes that it is Tom, they go back to every kill and kind of explain that Oh, they him. definitely do, yeah. So that's really good. Um, I mean, there's always going to be a level of disbelief, like how did he change like so quickly and blah, blah, blah. That's not, we don't care. I do think that this is... Out of everything I can think of, and definitely out of all of the the movies that we've analyzed so far, this is the greatest example of, like, the nervous breakdown. Yes. We don't have any killer who is more believable, has a better backstory, 
and whose true like psychosis is more like alarming. Yes. It really is like so well done, so thought out, and so well portrayed by um, Jensen, Mm -hmm. where you are torn the entire movie. Like, yeah, he's a little rough and he's kind of an asshole and he's like, I just want to get out of this town and he abandoned his girlfriend so you don't like him for those reasons. But then you're like, well, look what happened to him and like he's obviously wrecked from all this and then holy shit, he's the killer and it's just so well done. And and sometimes when we get these reveals, and I know when we did like Urban Legend, Ryan had a little bit of issue like, I like her crazy isn't necessarily like the most believable, like it's a little over the top. This was such an easy one to mm-hmm. like do over the top, like and make it kind of campy and silly, which wouldn't fit with this film. It'd be one thing if it was like an 80s slasher, but it's not at all. And it's not trying to be. It needed to be really rooted in reality. It's and a really very, dark like, and gritty. It flows well. Like yeah. it's a it's a good shift. It like it just worked. It was a very like easy transition. Um, which was important because, like we said, it like it can't be over the top. It needs to be like a more gradual, like easy transition, which I thought it did. Um, what's your favorite kill? Um, I think, like I said, I love that they used the three D um, to advance the kills and not rely on them to just make the kills good so like i love the shovel kill Mm, where her head slides like down the shovel a little bit um i really love that one and i think like the 3d makes it cooler but it still works by itself um i think i'm kind of gonna cheat so my favorite kill is ben's um because i think that's the most effective with the 3d and without and that the entire scene of that is just really great. Him shoving his head into the axe is incredibly gory and brutal and rough. I think it like that's another scene where like the fact that he's not using like he's shove he's has his head and shoves it through that. He's not using of those, force of the axe. Right. It's yeah. another one of those like sheer like brutality moments. Yeah. Um but I think I'm going to say my favorite kill is... The shovel kill. No. I'm going to say it's the one with the bar fight guy in the mine. Oh, uh, okay. Because that scene is so well played out with the whole like mirroring of the two and him being trapped. And it's the one that really sets forward like it just really can't be Tom. Tom, right. It can't be Tom. So I think that's such an important kill for the film and the fact that they were able to explain it without being at one of those stupid, like, plot holes where you're like, well, fuck that. Like, yeah. you don't even, like, explain how that happened. That's my favorite because they did it so well and it was really necessary to get the heat off of him and make you think it wasn't him. I think I love the shovel kill, too. It's yeah. definitely one of my favorites. But my favorite has to be former Sheriff Burke. Yeah, the, I love the mandible. Rip, I love rip ripping out just like the lower jaw and like the lower jaw coming off and flying towards the screen and like blood gushing from yeah. like his face. That's my favorite. And again, like that one is another, like he uses the axe, but like the fact that like it's not just the axe or the head, it's that through the jaw, then ripping just the lower jaw off. Yeah. Um, so that's my favorite. That's really good. They're all really good. This isn't lacking in kills whatsoever. I think, um, so. 
position in the horror landscape, it, I mean, it was definitely fit snugly in with those remakes. I think it's one of the better ones. I mean, out of all of those remakes, I think I can pretty steadily say Friday the 13th is the best. Yeah. Um, but I think this is right under it. I would put it above, like, Stepfather, um, Sorority Row, which I do enjoy, but above Sorority Row. I'd above put, Nightmare. I'd put it above Nightmare. Yeah. I uh, It's, like, really close with Halloween. I need to. I haven't watched ho- oh, Rob Zombie's Halloween in a long time. Um, yeah, that would be either. the only one I could think of that might be there, but it matches the, tonally those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like that's like where it matches for me, and like its position landscape was like one of the for me one of the best remakes we've ever got. And its position is. 3D, I mean, we can't ignore that. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of 3D horror. We do have some, but this is really like one of a kind. And when it gets talked about, especially in comparison to the beloved original, especially in our community, mm-hmm. um, when the, like, which one, the original or the remake gets talked about, the thing that gets brought up the most is, but those 3D kills yeah. are so good. So. Yeah. It's like position is the effective use of 3D and giving a, making a good movie great because of it. Right. Um, so comparatively, this is the first one that we're ever like really comparing to something. So comparing it, like it's so much darker, um, and I it's it, it's still fun, but in a different way. It's fun as a horror fan because like you get these like really like really outlandish kills that are like super brutal and gory. I think the movie itself is not as good as the original. I think we lose some of the things that make the original so charming. Um, The small town community vibe doesn't exist really in this. Um, Everyone is a super big asshole. Like there's that moment in the original where TJ drives her out to the like shore and they have like that reconnection it's like a grease moment. That's what that reminds me of. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. Um, but like that makes you like more sympathetic to his character who had before that is kind of just like a begrudging asshole. Yeah. Um, and like I think like that one does a lot better like interplay with like making it understandable why Sarah might want to be with either of these men instead of like you going, why the hell does she want to be with either of these men in this? Yeah. Um, and there's something to be said too for like the brutality of those kills at that time Mm -hmm. because i think it was daring like at this time i think it was almost expected like in 09 and it's really done and they're really well effect like they're effective and they're good but at the same time like in the fact that those happened at that time and the fact that my bloody valentine the original did what it did for the slasher genre as a whole Mm -hmm. i can't like I can't overlook that, even though like this one does a lot of things that I obviously like. It's glossy. It's it's got the high production value. It's got these dope kills like that I really enjoy that are super gory. But like the original, you know, is what twenty years its senior, uh, more than that, and it's still like very brutal. Still like has these like really like gnarly kills, um, and I think that like it sticks true to the Valentine's Day theme so much more. And mm-hmm. also to the, like, the small Nick, like, a lot of the people, like, in, in the original, like, I knew everyone who was dying, and I, like, was like, oh, I don't want that guy to die, or like, oh, this guy died, and then this one, they were, like, almost, like, 
I understand that they were all characters, but I didn't care when anyone died because I was like, you're all assholes. I hate all of you. Like, I don't care that you're dead. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't care when Ben died. I didn't care when Megan died. The kills were cool, but I didn't care that they were dead. Yeah. Yeah, they're so true to the years that they came out in. Mm-hmm. Um, My Bloody Valentine is, like, a beaming example of the best that came out of the 80s slashers, in my opinion, or at least the ones that I can talk about and say I've seen, which definitely isn't well, a lot of them. I've seen a fair share. Um, and this one is just so true to this era, this era of the, the remakes and this glossy, darker take mm-hmm. on these more campy films. Um, and so it's hard to compare it for that reason. And it's hard to compare, for, like Ryan said, is that this doesn't matter how good this remake is what the original did for the genre and the tropes that it set up um, forever affected it. Um, And so its position in the landscape is so much more important than this one will ever be. This is just a blip on the trend of 2000s. Yeah. Um, Doesn't mean it's not a great movie. It just means it's not as influential and powerful. Um, I don't think it's as good of a movie for the same reasons you've listed, Main thing, I mean, it's incredibly gory and inventive, and it's like the original, but better. The kills are better. They're more inventive, and they did have more freedom. Mm. Um, and it was definitely bogged down by the rating system in the 80s and the fact that it was a Canadian film. Heard it, too. I like that this one pays homage to the coolest kills. Yeah. Um, so that's really great. The minor in this is way better. Yes. Harry Warden, making him a character that we can see and do the killings, awesome. Way better change to the storyline. I love that it starts off right off the bat. I love that, I mean, the motive of Tom is way better than Axel. His Mm -hmm. turn, that part of this film is just leagues better. Leagues, leagues better. And that is definitely something that came from the script and the actors and the way it was directed so many choices that led. So I think there was just more talent behind the scenes creating mm. this one. Uh, the biggest thing is the unlikable cast, mm-hmm. which makes you, con- like Brian was saying, there were so many characters. Like when I was listing all of them, I'm like, oh yeah, it was that couple and that couple and that couple. Because we saw them and they were all chatting and this is missing, and it's not supposed... The remake isn't supposed to have that lighthearted teen scream feel, mm-hmm. which is why it's teen scream-ish. Uh, and that makes it less good. I mean, there's not really any break from the brutality, and that was the trend of the time. Oh, yeah. And so you're not supposed to have any like comedic light moments. The characters aren't supposed to give you any sense of... like well, I did this, or I really love you, or blah, blah, blah. You don't get any of that. You just really kind of hate them all. And the town doesn't have, we're lacking our town. And I was trying to think of why, because it is a small town. They do have, like, the small bar where all the elders are there, and they do have, like, the soda pop shop. And I make a joke about how they go to the the sheriff's department and just like all the crime scene photos are just in the main room like in the lobby like if you were to go like report that your cat was missing you would see all these like ridiculously gory like over the top shit um so it definitely has a small town for that i think it was just some 
way in the of how they filmed it we got less exterior shots there was less shots of them like traveling from place to place which made it seem bigger we it were just felt really big we like were the just town feels big. yeah we were just at the mine especially we because were, the the like in the original like the sheriff like the like the cops are like four people and this yeah. one like there's a whole department but we only know two but like I, I don't know there's just like there were certain parts of it that like it just the bar is empty like you know the shop is empty that grocery store is never full it feels like it's supposed to be the small town that's like but it's like the first one i really like because it is a small town and everything's crowded because they have nothing else to do so they all go together like yeah. they do things like everything's crowded because there's only four places to go and then this one like it's there's like just, no extras in this movie yeah there's no it's extra really people. weird it's really weird like it feels empty like they're in an abandoned town yeah like <laughs> the only time you ever see like extra people is in the hospital and even then it's like the doctor and the nurse like yeah. i felt like it, it was like very empty um very like cold Mm-hmm. um like where they're all alone and it's just these people and there was like the i the thing i keep coming back to is that scene in the bar in the original when there's like 40 of them in that bar and like 10 at a five person table and like it, there's just so much like it created this sense of like community community which i enjoy because like it makes it more like threatening when something is tearing that apart and then also like i really enjoy like the folklore aspect of harry warden in the original of like he is this legend and like some of the people like are old enough to remember he's like no it's not a legend this really happened but like most of the kids are like ah that's bullshit and in this one it's like very it feels so cold like because it's like nope he went on a 22 person murder spree and everyone remembers it Mm -hmm. and like they talk about it all the time it's brought up every Every year and i'm like i mean like i understand that but at the same time like i love that like idea of like oh like when they tell the story of harry warden in the original it's like and it comes back every valentine's day like in the pickaxe leaves the puddles of like red with like um and i miss that valentine's day theme too so. yeah that's the other thing that's lacking in this one is the they do use the valentine's theme but i think the first one being I mean, it's called Valentine Bluff and it being based around the fact that it's a Valentine's dance and they can't hold the dance and the cops are getting these like poems and boxes and Mm -hmm. we have elements of Valentine's Day and like the bodies are set up in multiple situations and the, the box of chocolates and we know that it has to do with Valentine's Day. But it's not a driving. No, it's not a central theme. At no all. theme, it's and it doesn't affect background. the plot at all. Yeah. You could take away all the Valentine's Day stuff in the movie, it would and it wouldn't nothing. matter. Yep. It wouldn't matter. Where if you take away those parts in the original, there'd be no movie left. Yeah, there'd be no point. You know, it'd just be like, oh yeah, it's so. such a driving force. Of yes. the plot. Yeah. So that's comparatively, that's how they compare. Um, th- they made a lot of decisions in the remake that I think make it better um in some ways like i said i think their their use of the harry warden like we getting to see him and tom being involved with it and being at fault and his whole breakdown is way better i think um, i think the thing is like when i think about it like the story is better but also like the story wouldn't be better if the original didn't exist which is something like because all they they were like it's original like didn't exist I don't know, it's it's hard for me because I start going like, well, they just, they changed, they probably saw the original or like, well, we need to change to make a difference. So that made the story better, which worked in their favor. And then also like, and I think about this a lot because my two favorite, favorite, favorite slasher movies of all time are Scream and Halloween. 
neither of those movies have particularly good kill scenes. There's never, like, a kill scene where, like, oh, shit, yeah, like, that was super gory, or that kill, like, it's very, like, stabby. Like, they're very, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're... They're both knife-based. Yeah, so, like, the gore scenes aren't ever, like, incredible, but those are my favorite horror movies, Mm -hmm. and I think the reason why is, so I can say this pretty confidently, even though it might sound like like it doesn't work but this movie has better kills and a better story but my bloody valentine's a better movie the original the 1981 is a better movie like this is this has cooler kills and the story works a little more but i think the original is a better movie Mm -hmm. overall i think it does more of what i look for in slashers and what makes a slasher a successful slasher like as much as i need those kills like i still need like all the other parts to fall in line to make something like really work like i think in you know halloween like annie and her friends have a chemistry that works like it, it like makes sense and like um annie is a likable character and she has a character arc and like um like the mystery for halloween you mean laurie or laurie why am i saying annie? i don't know i'm like who the hell are you talking about um yeah laurie and then like you know the same in like um it's the same in Scream. It's like the friendship with her friends works and like their background. And like there's like certain things, like there's story elements I get from those movies that make me like the movie more, even though the kills aren't better. Um, so that's why for me, 1981's is a better movie. Well, and I think it's true in what we talked about when we watch it and realized how much more important it was than we ever did realize is um, the formula it follows and pretty much the formula that it kind of helped start um this intentionally doesn't have those lighthearted moments and i think that contrast in slashers is what makes a slasher good yeah and that's a lot of the reason too. that character building that um groundedness where you realize like oh okay like you have a little reprieve where you get to know your characters a little bit this one is just so like kill 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 so if we weren't comparing it to other slashers and we weren't comparing it to its original, I think in a lot of arguments, this one's always going to come out better because it is an excellent film and a very well executed film. And it's a fun slasher. And it but, is fun. But I watched it's, it's it fun, twice in a week. But like I said, it's not fun in the sense of like, it's dark and it's cold and yeah. it's like brutal. It's, it's So it's not fun in the sense of like, oh, like it's it's campy and it's fun like it's fun and it's inventiveness and we'll get there because friday the 13th 2009 i think does what be is saying is and that's why i think it's the most successful and i think it's why nightmare was so unsuccessful at the time was because that movie's dark as shit and there's no reprieve at all in that movie and like the original nightmare does not have that like it does have those moments of of levity Mm -hmm. and like when you and that's freddy himself was um, like kind of like that and when you take someone like freddy and you make him you take his lines and you make it so he's not shooting off witty one-liners but he's like batman voicing them to you like and i think jackie earl haley did a great job in that movie but like you you lose part of what makes that movie so good and this that's why i think the friday the 13th 2009 is so good and why this is still a good movie but it's not as good as it could be um, and that was like B said, it was the 2000s. That was the trend. It was like, we're going to make it dark. We're going to make it real dark. And we're going to make it brutal. And we're mm-hmm. not going like, oh, that can't be shit from the 80s. That's gone now. Yeah. But like you forget like those, are, there's a reason those movies were successful. And there's a reason like they created a genre. And like, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the original is better. Um, we got to rank the movie now. 
This is getting harder and harder every week. I came prepared this time. Um, so what? This I is our ninth movie? So this <clears> is our ninth movie. At this point, we are My Bloody Valentine, 1981, is our number one. Happy Death Day, Urban Legend at number three. Number four is Hatchet. Number five is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Number six, Most Likely to Die. Seven, Blood Rage. And eight, Terror Train. I would put this fourth. I think... I think it I think Urban Legend edges it out just a little bit because we still get those character building moments. I actually care about the ancillary cast. I think that the motive is better in this. Mm-hmm. I think the kills are cooler, but not we lose the like the theme, Thematic. which I love. Yeah. Especially because like it's different. It's a lot different when you have a movie like like happy death day i'm not looking for theme kills because it's not presented it's to not, me as yeah. a theme killing but when this movie is my bloody valentine and the original is like has these like theme like in the it's original holiday slasher the murders aren't themed either but like he leaves these little notes and the heart-shaped cards and the boxes and everything so like the kills are still holiday themed yes and so this they're happening lo- because of the holiday this isn't yeah so it's th- happening because of the anniversary of a massacre that happens to be on so this is to me but I think overall it is a better movie than Hatchet. But I think it's not as good as Urban Legend strictly for those reasons. And but I like I think it's it falls in line right around there. So I'd put it fourth. Is that what you have? Yeah, I put rank it third or fourth, um, for all the reasons that we discussed when we were comparing it to the original. Um, I mean just as incredibly gory as Hatchet, which is what makes Hatchet, one of the reasons that makes Hatchet so incredible in Victor Crowley. And then we get this very brutal, menacing, Michael Myers-level creepy minor that I think is better than Urban Legend. I think the uh, the motive and the psychosis craziness is better than our breakdown for our killer and urban legend as well but what we lose is that levity of the characters we lose that those likable that likable cast that we are a little bit sad we lose those themed kills that urban legend has that just keep pushing it as a better slasher and so i'm comfortable with it being four even though i think the killer is better in this film yeah i think the yeah definitely the killer is better yeah four cool fourth we'll have it fourth um cool so that will go up on keepscreaming.com you can check the whole list is there again feel free to reach out we'd love if you guys talk to us on like social media so you can find us on instagram at screamingcast on twitter at screamingcast i'm at ryan larson on twitter and b is b not b that's b-e-e not b-e-a um Reach out because we need a new movie. We don't have one. We're trying to do something we both haven't seen. So that kind of narrows it down. Basically means we have to watch something from the 80s. Yeah, I've seen <sighs> a lot of that stuff too, though. So look for, yeah. like, more obscure shit. Um, if you guys have any ideas, I would, please, please, please let us know because we need to find something. And um, 
yeah, so go to the website, uh, check it out. B has the first two posters from the podcast on there, and she's working on the other ones because um, she does do posters for the movies that we yeah, talk about. Yeah, I have one for Blood Rage too. I just don't have it on the website. Um, so I have one for Urban Legend, Most Likely to Die. I have one for Blood Rage. I have one for the original My Bloody Valentine. I'm just being a perfectionist and tweaking a little bit more, but it's pretty fun. Um it's a like poster advertising the dance. Oh, cool. um, so keep working on them. Um, and you can find them on there. Um, it's like fun for me. So yeah. yeah, and you can buy them if you want to. Yeah, and help support us. And thanks for everything you guys have done so far. Thanks for listening. It's a blast. And help us find a new movie. We'll let you know if we've seen it or not. I've seen a lot. B's seen a lot. So it will be. A challenge but um it should be fun and we'll be back in two weeks thanks for listening to our a little long episode but we had to compare it to the last one so we knew it was going to run long and bye bye